All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fuck nicks, what the fucksters? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is a new year. If you're listening to this show on the day it is dropped, it is January 2nd of 2014. Are we going to make a big deal out of it? I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised I'm alive. I'm surprised that I'm okay. I'm surprised that things are going well. Uh, some of you would say, well, maybe you shouldn't be surprised. I am surprised. I'm always surprised. I feel okay about it. But I wasn't going to acknowledge uh, the new year. I was I was just going to make a smooth transition into another day. Just another day like any other day. And uh, I, I just, uh, I, I couldn't do it. I was going to drop out. I was going to not acknowledge the time passing in the way that it has been forced upon us to acknowledge it. I was not going to buy into the calendar conspiracy of truth anymore. Hours, minutes, seconds, days, months, years. I know there's history involved. Today is the first show of the new year, 2014. And my guest is Artie Lang. The amazing, resilient raconteur and uh, comic mind and uh, fucking warrior, Artie Lang. It was uh, amazing talking to him, and I think he was a good... I'm glad we held the interview till the first of the year because uh, he, his story is a great way to start a new year. So that's happening in a few minutes. All right, that's coming up. Love, Artie. Can't wait to share this uh, this talk we had. Season one of the uh, IFC show Marin, I know, is now on Netflix America. I don't know about the other ones. I'll look into it. Thanks for asking. How was your new year? Was it okay? Did you do all right? Is everybody safe? Did you take care of yourself? Like I said, I wasn't going to acknowledge it, uh, but I had ended up, uh, I put in uh, to do some shows at the comedy store early, and that was a month or so ago, and then I went to a, a small party with a uh, a friend. That was nice. I was with somebody at uh, midnight. That was nice. And then I freaked out a little bit. I got a little choked up. I got to let myself cry more. Is that okay with you people? That's a, that's what I'm going to do in the new year. It seems to me that I got to shake some shit loose, that there's some stuff stuck down in my soul's craw that needs out. I've made a career out of making things funny to the best of my ability and sometimes just intense, sometimes heavy, sometimes emotional. But I find that in my conversations with you guys, I can be pretty personal. Though lately I've been holding a little something back. Uh, but not too much, nothing bad. I'm just trying to, you know, keep my private life a little more private for now. Don't fucking freak out. All right. It's not that I'm not being honest with you or candid. I'm just processing. This is the new year, but there's something stuck down there. Something needs to come out. I've got to release it out of my heart in the form of a explosion of exciting grief and liquid from my eyes. That's my plan in 2014. I want to have one relatively healthy, complete emotional meltdown in the presence of somebody I trust. That's my big plan. I don't know that it's ever happened 
in uh, in a precise way. Right now that I'm 50 years old, I know what's gone down. I know what I've been through. I know where I've been. I have some wisdom, but it seems I've been uh, the only thing that I'm able to compartmentalize with any boundaries at all is the pain that I'm keeping in my heart. And I just I'd like to wrap it and give it to, to as a gift to somebody and let them unwrap it and release it into the air like a bunch of shitty bats that just fly off to good music. That's what it is. I've, my pain is is wrapped in a box and and not unlike uh, you know at a wedding where they release doves, my pain box will be opened and shitty bats will come flying out. But you'll be excited because the right there'll be a swell of music and the music will be sort of ironic in relation to the fact that they're bats. But there's no reason to judge bats. It's not their fault. They're fly fucked up and they're weird and they're they're ugly and they've been associated with horror. Bats are, you know. They're pretty animals. So that's it. A swell of exciting music and a release of a box of bats. That's where I'm heading, man. That's this year. But I did reflect on last year, and I and I, I don't know that I took the time. I know I didn't take the time, and I know this is more of an end-of-the-year thing as opposed to the beginning-of-the-year thing. But I really do want to thank uh, all of you, all my listeners. I'd like to thank all my sponsors. Uh, you know, we had a tremendous year, and that was why I got choked up. I was not going to acknowledge New Year's. And I found myself, you know, just amazed. I mean, I think that that last year was the busiest, most productive year of my life. Uh, I had no idea I would be as busy and productive. There was also pain. There was also drama. It was a difficult year emotionally. But Jesus Christ, I did a lot of shit. I think it might have been the year that I did most of it, that I did all of it. I don't know if I'll ever have another year like last year. And I'm not being cynical. But holy fuck. What a year, and I you know, I certainly couldn't have done it without you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, yeah, so resolutions. Uh, to continue breathing, to try to get a little healthier, to uh, open my heart and release the bats, to hopefully, uh, again, find uh, love in my life and process my grief. I mean, Jesus Christ, my bed table looks like a fucking self-help library. You can have all those books, but if you're not doing the work, Nothing's going to happen. All you're going to do is you're going to check in with those books every few months and go, oh, fuck, right? That is me. Holy shit, this is spot on. God damn it. I do do that. Oh, look, if I do this, then I'll feel better. Reading about it makes me feel better. Oh, man, I'm glad I picked up that book. I feel seen and understood. Now I will put that book back on the shelf until I fucking hit the wall again. Then I'll check back in with it. And feel seen and understood. Now put it back on the shelf. How do you do the work? How do you release the box of bats in your heart? God damn it. Courage. Letting it happen. Trust. Something I neglected to tell you uh, about my trip to Phoenix. I told you all of it. But I forgot to mention that not only did I listen to Black Sabbath Volume 4 over and over again in a fast car but I turned all of my nieces and nephews onto Black Sabbath. I sat them in the car and I'm like, where are you at musically? What's happening? Listen to this. Supernaut. Listen to that. Does that do anything for you, 12-year-old? Does that do anything for you, 14-year-old girl? Does that do anything for you, 16-year-old girl? Absorb it. What have I done? Those moments are life-changing if they enter, if they, if they are processed, if they go in. Those moments where it's like, 
where you hear a, a bit of music or you see a bit of film and you're like, my life is never going to be the same because someone dumped that into my head. It just reconfigured all of it. The brain is now different. Maybe I did that. And also, I met Ty Siegel at Permanent Records here in LA. I go to two record stores here in my neighborhood. I go to Gimme Gimme, hang out with my buddy Dan. And I go up to uh, Permanent, hang out with Liz and Lance, Permanent Records, LA. And Ty Siegel uh, sometimes does, uh, he has a residency up there at, uh, at Permanent Records uh, uh, once in a while. And and I was sort of, uh, you know, this he's a kid, man. I mean, he's not not a kid kid, but he's a lot younger than me. I just happen to think he's a fucking amazing musical artist. And I act like a goddamn fanboy. I'm just like, I can't even uh, talk right. I'm, I'm, I'm like hoping that I'm cool enough to talk to this kid. But by the time I left, he had, uh, he had talked me into buying two uh, Hawkwind albums. So I'm in that hole. All right, so now, you know, I sometimes I tell stories and uh, sometimes I tell good stories and sometimes I tell fragmented things that wander about. Happy New Year, did I mention that? But the one thing I've noticed about Artie Lang, who I've met a couple of times in my life, is that he, whatever he comes out of his mouth is going to be a fully formed, beautiful story with an arc and with some humor and with some uh, revelation. He's a natural raconteur. And it's a beautiful thing. He is a great guest to start the new year because nobody has hit the wall harder than Artie and pulled himself back up again, again. And he's holding it. He's holding strong. And he's doing all right. Oh, I want to explain what's going on before we start the conversation here. Artie walked into my garage and you can hear when we start the conversation, he's a little off mic because he's looking around. And out of everything in this room, he walked right to the back wall of my garage and right up to this photograph that I have of me and Sam Kennison at the Comedy Store, 1987. I look like a ghost and Sam looks like the devil. And it's one of my favorite photographs as a reminder of a lot of things. But uh, it's a hell of a picture. And that's, I wanted to leave that part in where, you know, Artie walks in. I turn the uh, mics on. So please, now, our first guest of the new year, the inimitable Artie Lang is in the garage. Enjoy. I look healthy in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> Those were... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a... You can tell I was having a good time there, can't you? <laughs> That's fucking great. <laughs> you said one of those guys ain't going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was certainly a toss-up at that point. <laughs> You met Sam before he died? He no, I never met him. I, just as I started, you know, going to New York to to try something, yeah, he died. You know, just as that happened. When the hell was that? What year? Ninety two. I was twenty three in ninety two, and that's when I first started going in and like 
just going to clubs and seeing if I would even want to try something. I have no recollection of like when he died. I know I you know what I do because I know where I was and I was so mad at him. April ninety two. Yeah, I was so mad at him. I just moved to San Francisco. Right. And you know, you know, I blamed him for a lot of my insanity. Were I, you in a good in a good space with him when he died? No, uh, no, because I lost my mind on drugs right. when I was twenty one or twenty two, and you know, he, he was definitely part of that. Like blow mostly. Just, yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, I don't. Yeah, you were. You, you like that stuff, but oh, God, I, yeah. you like anything. <laughs> yeah. But so I lost my mind. Yeah, I hear you. Me for too. like a year, <laughs> like the, what you had. Did you hear voices in your head? Yeah, I had everything, man. <laughs> You're Everything. We're professionals. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was five star crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so I kinda held him responsible for that. When I heard he died, I was like, Yeah, oh, fuck that guy. But now I love you know, I listen that first record is the best. Right. So wait, so you started you you were thinking I started going into into the city and I would just sit in the back of clubs. Which ones? Uh Stand Up New York, the cellar, uh, and I would just watch guys. Yeah. And that would that could be depressing, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then uh you know, I um, I first saw you at at the Luna Lounge, the one on Eighth and Sixteenth in the back of Rebar. Remember that place? Oh know? my God! And uh, the original uh, the alt origi- comedy room. Yeah, and I I got a spot on that uh, in ni- in the spring of '95, and I yeah. did this monologue. And uh, the casting director for Mad TV was there, and that's how I got Mad TV doing at, the, a, at Luna Lounge at Rebar at Rebar. Yeah, so it wasn't even Luna yet. It yeah. was uh, just I think they it was. That, it wasn't called Luna Lounge at that point. The one on Ludlow Street was Luna Lounge, right? The one at Rebar. I think the show was like tentatively called Eating It or yeah. something like that. But I mean, that was like the very beginning. Where people were sitting on the floor, right? But two months before I did that monologue there, someone told me to go down there, and I saw you for the first time. And I'll never forget what you did. You destroyed and. Uh, you did a you did a bit about you had just driven down from Boston, yeah, and you said I love driving uh, long distances because no matter what's fucked up in your head, right, a part of your brain has to drive that car, right. <laughs> yeah, remember that. A, a part of your brain has to so say fun. I have to drive a car so I can't get too dark. Yeah. I have, I'm not sitting on a couch and I can just fucking go get suicidal. Right, I have to drive this car and it's a distraction. So that's why and and it was. Inspirational. It was fantastic. It's so weird because yeah. I used to love that joke, and only yeah. a certain type of person could get that joke. Oh. I barely did it. It spoke to me, you know. And uh, <laughs> at the time, I didn't have a license. Though. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't get into this. Uh, but uh, yeah, it uh, it was great. And then a few months later, I got the, the a monologue that I ended up doing on the pilot of, of, of Mad? Mad TV. So you were you were one of the first guys. You were the first cast. The on first there? two years, yeah, I was on. But before that, what the hell were you doing with your life? I mean, before uh, you started doing I was, comedy, I was uh, I was a longshoreman on the Port and Newark. Were you a union guy? Uh, yes. Oh yeah. I, I I didn't go to college. I had to get. I had to go to. Uh, uh, <laughs> I failed uh, history, biology, and gym my senior year. <laughs> Swear to God. <laughs> and uh, I had to go to summer school for gym. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you say there were twenty four kids in the summer school, eight of the dumbest Italian, Irish, and black kids you've ever seen in your life from Jersey. <laughs> And learning how to rotate properly in volleyball. <laughs> and uh, I remember this kid, Mike Shackelford, this black kid, our, our, our guy was Mr. DeBarbery, was the guy. <laughs> He'd go, Mr. DeBarbery, I ain't rotating properly. <laughs> he would rat me out for not rotating. And then, uh, I, I so I, I wasn't going to college. I didn't have money to go anyway. And I became a, a longshoreman. A guy I knew got me a job, a connected guy, got me a job at the port in Newark. And I got in a union and I worked there for two years. And I saved up on, on the orange juice stock. And yeah. I saved up enough cash to to then 
uh, go and I, I told the guys, <laughs> it's like something out of a fucking movie. I told these like connected guys, I said, listen, I want to quit. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was 22 making 70 grand a year. And you can make 70 grand that year. You didn't have to know how to spell your fucking name. I went down there. I said, Eddie sent me. And I worked for two years without pay- filling out paperwork. <laughs> checks i said eddie sent me and he said go over there and listen to what he tells you to do and uh i worked there for two years without filling out a w-2 nothing not an application i just started getting checks to my house and i got at the end of the first year i got what to call a container check which yeah. is this crazy scam they had where yeah. we got we got money for every container that went through there and it was like five g's was this over uh, under the table no it was it was all proper oh. checks but there were bookies every 10 feet of me. <laughs> And I, I start. I got into the mode, man, where because everything was self destructive and it was extreme. But, but like your family life, though, you just like that was what you ended up doing because was your old man. A, my in- father was a bl- very blue collar guy. He climbed roofs for a living, and uh, you know he got to about the ninth grade. My father, right? He grew up on the street in Newark. The toughest, most street smart guy I ever knew in my life, yeah. and I looked up to him. He was like my best friend, but yeah. too much of a best friend, you know? right? Uh, you find that out later in life. You know their flaws. You think they're everything, but. Um, oh yeah, you wait, know that to what tell, was that moment? You know that to tell joke that he's Which got one? that great joke. Where he, this I related to this. He goes, you know, when you're a kid, you think your father's Superman, and when you get older, you realize he's just a drunk who likes to wear a cape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that joke. <laughs> yeah, that that was you know that I related to that. It's a great joke. Yeah. So I um I uh, he fell off a roof oh, after, a week god. after my 18th birthday. Oh my god! And he became a quadriplegic. Oh and Jesus! The guilt was yeah. Uh, my job when I worked with him was to hold the ladder. Oh, and uh, I I I <laughs> I sound like I grew up in the 1940s sometimes, but I used to hustle pool. With my two buddies we used to play nine ball. Yeah, and we used to go to the local uh, county college and go in the game room, and it was just free fucking money. We would <laughs> pretend we didn't know each other, and we get into a nine ball game. If you hit the five, and it was twenty bucks, the nine was like thirty, and uh, my buddy would set me up. Uh, to shoot them in, yeah. and the third guy would pay, they would pay me the mark, and then yeah, and then we'd split the money <laughs> until a guy found out. We almost got our ass kicked. It's, it was like something out of like the Bowery Boys. Yeah. Or so you were, well, you were holding the ladder. I was supposed to hold the ladder, and I, I, I didn't go to work with him. And I told him I was going to look for a job, and I went to shoot pool. I shot pool all day. Oh. I got home, and uh, you know, and uh, my mom said. Uh, uh, he f- he fell off a roof. He put the ladder on top of a picnic table to get to the top of the roof, and he oh, went to swing a hammer, and it fell. He fell thirty feet on his head, and oh, he be- God. became a quadriplegic. Had no insurance, nothing, and we went broke. He was he he lasted four and a half years before he died. I think he offed himself through the help of uh, crazy friends that he had, but there was no autopsy. Right. Um. You felt guilty for that. God, yeah, that I wasn't there to hold a ladder. I mean, for a long time, and I, I uh, you know, I, I went through, I went through everything, and uh, he, uh, you know, he would ask me to kill him every week. He's like, like just, just, just oh, fucking God. shoot me, because he couldn't move from the neck down, and we had to feed him. Yeah, uh, every we went, week he would just say, yeah. "I'm done." Yeah, I'm, I'm done. done. I, I, and I couldn't blame him. He was a very physical guy. He, he wasn't the guy who, you know, read the yeah, yeah, read a lot. He right. just he liked moving around. Oh, what do you do with that? There's nothing to do, man. There's nothing. It's a living hell. I always say, he always said God was uh, punishing him. I said, listen. For what? Well, he was an atheist, my father. My my mother, big Catholic. My father would always say to me, there's nothing up there. He goes, don't tell you what I told you, but there's nothing, there's nothing fucking up there. He, just, he goes, he would say to me, do all the shit, get the confirmation community, but there's nothing up there. <laughs> 
but then when you're a quadriplegic for like four the, years, yeah. yeah, he started to think maybe there is. Yeah, why not? And it's mad at him. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, if there is a heaven or hell, I, I hope God gave him his hell here. And yeah, that, that was it. Right. Well, I mean, he hung on for four years. I mean, he that's did. enough. Yeah. Well, I, and and I think he had these nutty friends from Newark who. I think got into the house somehow and gave him something, and because he was just dead one morning. Yeah, something to. to That's take one of those out. situations where you know you think maybe this, you maybe the you know the right to die the way you want is sure. not a a bad idea. In that if situation. you saw him, you'd 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 start to think. Yeah, that makes a little sense. I love that he was so positive. There's nothing up there. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. How you get there. There's nothing up there. Yeah. <laughs> I got word. <laughs> yeah, he knows. He's the yeah. one guy yeah. who figured it yeah. out. Uh, you know, and I forget it. From there on in, it was it was everything, man. It was it was it was dope. It was uh, gambling, bad bad gambling. I got to into with the, you, yeah, because uh, you think that some of it was spurred on by the the guilt and the the pain of that. I'm sure there was some of that, but I, I mean, sounds I, like you got it in your blood, though. If I was the son, if I was the son of a, a CEO yeah. for, for General Motors, <laughs> you'd have more money. I, yeah, I, I'd be I'd be dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'd get pure shit. with a trust fund would not. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's not pretty. That's not yeah. pretty. But I, I got to the point at the port where I was I was living the lifestyle where I would I would borrow from a loan shark to pay a bookie. And uh, you know, if I didn't get out of there, oh my god! So wait, did you ever get into a situation where you had to, you got roughed up and you know, it was? Uh, you... My friend did, uh, but uh, I never got my ass kicked. But my buddy who used to go meet the. The bookie. There's this amazing. You talk about the hypocrisy of religion. There's this yeah. amazing story that I told on Stern once. Yeah. Uh, where um, these two kids that I grew up with, these two Italian kids, they figured out a, a loophole in gambling with this bookie we had. Yeah. Uh, they found out that there was one hockey game played in the afternoon on a Wednesday. That NHL would schedule one Wednesday <laughs> afternoon game for some reason. Yeah. And the latest we could get bets in was 7 p.m. So they said. I wonder if the bookie even knows that the game was played earlier. So they tried putting in a bet on a game that already happened. Yeah. The game happened at one. They put in a bet at seven on the team that won. Yeah. And it worked for three weeks. The yeah. guy never realized that they were betting on a game that already happened. Right. But they were dumb thieves. They were used They were used to like betting 50 bucks. All of a sudden, they're betting like 80 time parlays, like $1,000 on the fucking yeah. Canucks. Yeah. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Parlaying it with the over. Yeah. And, uh, and the guy figured it out. Right. And uh, uh, when he figured it out, uh, my friend who used to go meet the middleman for him at this McDonald's said, uh, "Listen, he's fucking livid. He's coming himself." He was his name. His guy's name was Bobo. He just disappeared one day. He was yeah. on Staten Island. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he said he's coming. So yeah. just get fucking ready and uh, get ready to get yelled at. I don't know what he's going to do. He's probably not going to hit you, but he's you're not getting the money and. Blah, blah. <laughs> So my buddy called, not gonna hit you. My buddy calls me up and says, "You got to come with me. I, I can't do this." I said, "All right, I'll go with you." And uh, we go to the McDonald's <laughs> yeah. and and we see the guy sitting in the in the corner and he's got a wad of cash in his hand yeah. and he's eating like a quarter pounder with cheese. He was bald and he had tattoos. And we went in the back and we sat and and he, he didn't look up at us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the only time I was ever treated ruder was when I had a meeting with Lauren Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> But he was reading the Daily News, yeah. and, he, and he goes, this is what he said. He goes, you want a fry? 
<laughs> and I went to reach for the fry and I took a French fry. He goes, he goes, listen, he looked up at us and he had the water cash. You can see this? You're not getting this fucking money. This is the money your fucking jerk off friends. When you tell them if they ever fucking try to fuck with me again, I'll, I'll find them. I'll rip their throat out. I'm going to kill their mothers. I'm going to kill their kids in front of them. I'm going to bury them fucking alive. I'm going to hit them with a bat in the face. Now, here's the greatest part of all yeah. time. It was Ash Wednesday. Yeah. I guess he had just gone to get ashes. Right. So he had forehead. an enormous cross, an enormous <laughs> ash cross on his forehead. It was like the, the size of the cross Jesus took up the hill. And he's, and we both noticed it at the same time while he's threatening to kill yeah. our friend's kids. And we could, it got that thing like that school laughter. We had to put our head down. <laughs> he might have thought we were crying. And when we left there, we just we sat on my friend's car and we just laughed for two hours. And we thought of his wife like screaming at him, go get ashes, don't forget. Get ashes. All right, I gotta go to Jersey to threaten a kid. <laughs> I'll get right on that. So the gambling started so early. You couldn't. Uh, I had a bookie when I was seventeen. Yeah. What is the compulsion of that? Because that's not a thing I have. Drugs, I have. Good. I, the gambling thing, I, I don't. Uh, I, I just don't like to lose money. No, I know. I, my old man was the same way. He would, he would strangle me if he found. Because I, I lost good money. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's about wanting to. It's about wanting to lose so bad. It's about wanting to just wallow in shit, I guess. I, no, but that is not... I mean, that's something you, you, you realize later. Yeah. yeah but, uh, I, but, but like in the it was, moment... It's, it's a high. It's, 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 it's action. Makes the game more interesting. Oh, oh, I always say, you know, <laughs> people would say to me, like my buddies who didn't have the... Oh, Norm MacDonald has this great line where he says, you know, they call gambling a disease, but it's the only disease where you could win a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I... I yeah, it was it was great, but if you lo but it was the funny thing was if if you won the high went away. It's like needing another line of coke. Right. If you win the high lasts for ten minutes, and okay, now how do I get that back? I got to make another bet, and eventually you lose. Oh, so that's it. Yeah. So that's the buzz. Yeah. Well, but like because I in, in that one part of your book where you, you the first time you had you, you talk about having the the bug to do it, oh, yeah. you're watching a, a game you didn't even care about. Right. But but how if you bet on it, then you care about it's, it, it's, right? It's, it's, yeah. I was just <laughs> saying to my friends who, who didn't have the disease, they yeah. would go, "I'm going home early. It's a shit game. It's like yeah. the Browns or yeah, the yeah, yeah. Rams." Yeah. And I'm like, oh, "Well, you know." How much money do you have in your bank account? <laughs> the eight hundred bucks. Put twelve hundred on the fucking Browns. It'll be a good game it, then. It'll be like New Year's Eve at P Diddy's house. But does it? But I have to assume that it charges up the game. That it doesn't even matter what you're fucking watching. If you got a bunch of money on it, you're like, oh, you charges get, up the game. You're in it. 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 it makes Virginia Tech against Ramapo the, <laughs> on a Tuesday night the best fucking thing of all time. Sure. Did you ever see that movie, The Gambler, with James Caan? Written by James Toback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to get him in here. I can't. What a him. character! Did you see the the him him and Alec Baldwin trying to get money for a movie? Yeah, yeah I saw that movie. Oh God, is that brilliant? It's crazy. James Toback is such a character. Hey, man. Did, you, did you meet him? No, I would love to. I would love to. You uh, guys would be a disaster together. <laughs> That's true. Actually, maybe I shouldn't. That he gets the mentality. The end of the gambler. James Con wins the bet. You know, he gets yeah. he gets the kid to throw the game. And now he fucks this kid's life because the mom's got their claws into that fucking kid and they're not right. going to let go. Yeah. But he won the bet. He doesn't get his ass kicked. You know, and he's, I love that he's a rich kid and he had to borrow money from his mother. And then he's like, what do I do now? So he goes into the fucking right, brothel the, yeah. and, and starts a fight with a bouncer and gets cut because he's got to have juice. He's yeah, got to yeah, have yeah. risk. Right. It's right. all about risk. About his know? life. Yeah, that, right. Like at the end, it's sort of like he doesn't die and he realizes he could have. Yeah. And that was the juice. And, and now what? Like yeah. the, when, he, when he went, he's watching that game and he, you could tell he's got the high in the yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, stands yeah, yeah. and he's hitting the paper on his knee. Uh, wins. 
Now what? That's it. Last 10 minutes. Now what? Now I got to go to a brothel and try to fucking get killed, you know? Well, yeah. there's no end to it. It just reminds me of this story that there was this old road comic, John Fox. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. I, I know who he is. Yeah. He's dead now. Yeah. But like one night we we're all sitting around telling drug stories or whatever, <laughs> right, you know, right. like, oh, we did an eight ball and blah, blah, blah. And then Fox, <laughs> who's like this road dog, you know, just out of nowhere goes, you know what I hate? You know, when you're just, you know, sitting around the condo and you're jerking off to porn, you got a hairbrush <laughs> up your ass and- <laughs> And like he just crossed this line to where you're like, no, I don't know that one. <laughs> the hairbrush yeah, is like, whoa. Yeah, right. But the, it just it speaks to that idea that eventually you're going to get a hairbrush. <laughs> you know, like if you keep going any direction and you've got the disease. <laughs> Exactly. You're, exactly. You're gonna end up alone with a hairbrush up your ass. Yep. In some version. Of that. Yeah. It's it's gonna it, the, the ball is gonna keep going down the hill and it's gonna get bad. It's gonna hit something. But like in retrospect, though, when you say that you liked you know feeling miserable, like because I'm trying to deal with this shit now. I mean, I got 14 years. It's amazing. Know, sober. It's amazing. But now, but I'm still dealing like, well, why, why, why? When I get like now, I just broke up with a girl, so now I'm really alone. Yeah. yeah. You know, all I'm doing is the thing. Right. You know, and I'm like, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, all that shit comes back. It's like oh, I got no confidence. Yeah. What, what do you? What is it? What is that? I hate myself. What? Do you, what is that? Right. Right. Who, who the hell wired me that way? Mm -hmm. Did you figure it out? No. And 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 and, and women, uh, listen, I I I have uh, like about uh, under a year yeah. now. Because I relapsed twice. Congratulations. Since I got out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I relapsed twice, but um, uh, since I got out the last time from the Nuthouse. But yeah. uh, uh, I really think, you know, you think of every great artist and stuff, it all goes back to women, man. That might be the. That might be the key, and that's something else my father used to say. And that, yeah. that blue collar sort of yeah. charm he had, yeah. he would go, he would go, you got to, you got to get the right broad, man. He goes, <laughs> he goes, he would always say, you got to get the right broad. It's all about the broad, yeah. And uh, they'll fucking kill you. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think it all the time. And and I, I've gone through. You know, <laughs> don't I mean, tell your mother. Yeah, right. And don't tell your mother. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, it might. That might be the key to it all is figuring that out. Like to try f find true happiness with a woman. Oh, true happiness. Period. Yeah. What the I, hell is that? Uh, I don't know what it is, man. People talk about joy. I'm like, I, that'd be interesting. I, I'm willing to feel I, what, what that what that feel like. Some people walk down the street in Manhattan, like uh, in Hell's Kitchen, yeah. walking a huge dog. They probably yeah. got a little apartment. I'm like, what? What does that apartment smell like? That's all I think about. And they're smiling and they're talking on itself. And I feel like stopping them going, what the fuck are you so happy about? Please tell me. Please tell me. Because it, it looks like I, if I were you, I would be jumping off a cliff. Just write it down for me. <laughs> something I can read every day that yeah, make me do that? Right. Like, what are you on to, man? Is there something going on? Is there a drug I don't know about? You yeah. Know? What, what's so... Uh, the gambling started when you were 17. What were the drugs starting? Uh, right around the same time. You know, weed and stuff. And then uh, every once in a while, I, guys would have coke. Um, and, yeah, we start when we're teenagers. Yeah, first yeah. time I tried that, I was about 19. Yeah, how was and, that for oh you? Oh, my God, man. I, again, you, you think you, uh, you found the, the secret of the universe. Right. And you think you could handle it forever. Yeah. And... Uh, Oh my God! I started chasing chasing that. You oh, know that you know th that is just crazy. When yeah. you really look at, if you really look at that that stuff where you're like those nights where you you know you got the first hour in right, and right. it's like holy fuck yeah. And then you know within nine hours you're like you know I don't even know that guy. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he's, he's in my house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One time I'll never forget this. One time this this, this good looking chick that my buddy was kind of dating yeah. said she could get uh, coke, and so we go to her house and the. The guy I was supposed to bring it over was a guy she said I used to date, oh, yeah. and she said uh, she says, but when when he gets here, don't look at him. And we said, what do you mean? He goes, he's. I said, we said, why? She goes, she said, because he's really, really ugly. 
And I said, so, uh, you know, uh, he, he said, he doesn't like people looking at him. I said, what are we supposed to do? What do you mean not look at him? <laughs> Just let me handle it. And like, yeah. I came over and he was, he was like, you know. What, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, listen. It's a hell of a setup. I looked at me and I said, you know, uh, this guy's not exactly a young Bob Rever, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think he's that bad. And, uh, you know, of course, then there's a big argument in the other room and you think, uh, you know, and then there's no coke. <laughs> And, and you sit there going, should we go? Yeah, no, this chick. A guy, a guy in rehab said a profound thing about coke uh, once to me. He said uh, the best part about coke is going to get it. Yeah, like you know, I remember when I started doing the road, like you're in Cincinnati, and someone says they can get it. And you go, wow, you just get in the yeah, car, and yeah. like, wow, I'm gonna get coke, I'm gonna get coke, and then you get it, and and then running out of it is. You know, you're but suicidal. The, but yeah, but those, those, that sort of, there's a truth to it because you're like, all right, well, you know a guy? Yeah, we got to go to this place. Right, so right. Like, all right, so we're going to go? Yeah, right after. And you're like, all right, we going? Yeah. And then you're driving. It's like, how far away is it? And we're almost there. You're like, what the fuck is this? Right. So now it's like one in the morning. It's like, let me just go in. And you're in a car and it's like, where the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and then he comes out and he's like, we just got to go to this other place. Yeah, it's always <laughs> a fucking rigmarole, man. You know, and and uh, I, I remember that slogan, hugs are better than drugs. Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah. Like bumper stickers. Right. Remember that? I first uh, thought of that. I was like, oh, geez, you know, I don't know if that's true. I, I never went to the Bronx to get somebody to hug me. <laughs> you will put yourself in the worst situations. You yeah, know? and you, you know, yeah, that's why it's a true addiction. You know, it's right. like there's, there's, you know. Well, yeah, because you're, you're, you want this thing, and then all of a sudden you realize, like, I have a room full of pirates. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> some of my shit's gone. You know, like, you don't, every time you enter that world, every time you need to do drugs, you exponentially sort of grow the, your ability to get killed in a stupid way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, 10 times. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I kids I went to high school got killed in bad drug deals. And there's all these examples. Now, our generation, by the time, you know, we got older, you know, Belushi had gone. You know, you, you read the stories about Keith Richards, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, Joplin, Hendrix. Everybody was gone already. So we had, like, actual examples of right. shit that were right in our face. Heroes of ours were yeah. dead. That was all my heroes. Yeah. All drug addicts. Yeah, every one of them. Yeah. And they, and they you know, it's so funny. Every time a, a celebrity dies, uh, like, the guy from the, the monkeys just Died. I think that's one other motherfucker Keith Richards outlived. Yeah, know? David Jones. <laughs> yeah, they're right. I'm like, <laughs> David yeah, Jones. Uh, in 1974, those two together, who's making it? He's you, still you, around. You just picture Keith marking numbers on a wall, <laughs> putting a slash through five bars. Well, that's five. That's ten. Did you read Exile on Main Street, A Season in Hell with the Stones? No, I read his his autobiography. That I, that I read. It's but great. Uh, the, 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 guy, the, the amazing producer who did uh, Exile and Beggar's Banquet, and I think... Let it bleed, Jimmy Miller. Yeah, uh, he got him addicted to heroin. It's right. a, it's a, the book's basically about how he's like this infection, and everyone around him gets addicted to heroin. They die. He's he keeps going, and so in ninety, that's his job, right? <laughs> basically, so in ninety four, the Stones are playing like Giant yeah. Stadium, and, and yeah. Jimmy Miller died from liver failure, and, and a friend right. of, the, of the band goes back and tells Keith and Mick, you know, Jimmy died, yeah. and his, his his liver went, and uh, you know, it seems kind of cold, but Richards were like, you know, better him than fucking me, man. He goes. There's a museum in London waiting to fucking show my liver. You know, just really like just rock and roll to the end. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And then he takes a picture with a kid and uh, and and his father, and he leaves, and he goes, "You see that? That's two hundred and fifty grand, right there." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, 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 that's how we reacted to uh, Jimmy Miller dying. Well, you know, I but you got a bigger heart than that. Yeah, yeah. So you do Mad TV, right? And that that was the first wall. Yeah, oh yeah. I came out here, so so now I'm making ten grand a week instead 
a ten grand a year. Did you? <laughs> but you okay? So you just off Longshoreman. You hadn't done that much stand up. I was though, dri- right? I was driving a cab the, for the three years I struggled in Manhattan, and then I I, I got the part on Mad TV. What clubs were you really working at though? Did you have an act? Did you think? Yeah. Oh yeah. I thought. Yeah. I I, I was the first club I was regular at was the Strip. Yeah. And then stand up New York. Lucian Hold. Uh, yeah. Very funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He told me it took me uh, a year and a half to pass there, man. Oh, he told me he said I already have enough angry white guys. No, he did. He told me he goes, I have an Italian guy from Brooklyn. <laughs> I've got one. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly who, what he who said. Who was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was it? Do you know who it was? Uh oh yeah. Oh, oh. Rob McNaughty. Rob, yes! Yes it was! It was <laughs> Rob McNaughty. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it took me. Yeah, and then he finally gave. He was starting to give me Tuesday nights at eleven. Ugh. You know, I did a couple of sets for two people. Yeah, oh yeah. I got I got bumped by Ellen Cleghorn a bunch of times. Yeah, she was a a, 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 a tank. <laughs> I mean, she was not bad, but she was no, a lot to reckon with. I was afraid of her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the greatest thing about that time in '93, I really started getting spots there, and, and I got bumped by Rock a, a couple of times. And yeah. I sat in the back, and I watched, and he was just starting to figure out that bring the pain thing right right and that was great to see like the the, the, his the transformation in- from like a kind of a weird public failure and yeah the great comedian into like uh, the genius that he yeah. became and, and that first uh special you know uh and i got to watch that him sort of work that out that was great man yeah. I, I learned a lot watching that about comedy. well he's interesting rock because he just he turns the juice off yes when he's trying shit out yeah where it's like he's not doing his like yeah nah, nah. I see, like, at, right. I see him at the cellar do sets, and he, he's real like low-key yeah, kills, right. but you know he's really low-key. He's know? like just checking the 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 uh, integrity of the joke. He's one of those guys who could do that. Yeah, know? yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's interesting to do that, especially when people expect something uh, other than that from you. Now, did right. you have to get high to get on? Uh, in the beginning, you know, I would have, I, yeah, I used to drink to get on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but then I went through a period where no, I was, I, I got confident enough to where you know. I would I would kill for twenty minutes, but then I would get upset, and I, I would I would see guys. I would I think of guys like you or Atel or different guys, I, I, and uh, I would say, um, you know, it, I, I'm a hack. You know, I went through a really bad time where I was, and I, and I think I was when I think back of the jokes. But you know, I was just so fucking happy to be on stage. I was so happy I wasn't loading a fucking truck. I yeah. said, you know, maybe I'll be the hack for twenty. Yeah. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm not loading a truck, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I'm not loading a goddamn truck. Um, so. Uh, uh, and then I met I met I met David Spade, and we sh- we did a movie together. I remember he he enlightened me about this. Like uh, he goes, I don't give a shit if uh, you know everybody at Largo thinks I'm a sellout. I'm in this for pussy and money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, there's all different perspectives. The thing about uh, that I learned is you meet a lot of wise people who are wise in different areas. Yeah, and I think if you take you try to figure out where the person's not an asshole and where he's smart. Uh, some guys are all asshole, but you try to figure out the guys that have the one smart section that they know about and try to feed off all those different smart things and try to live that way. Well, I know? think well, I think what that is, like a friend of mine once said to me, like, you know, the difference between a child and a grown up is you realize your limitations. Yes. Like, so. Right. Exactly. And, and yeah. Like, I never got that. Like, I, I never even knew why I was doing anything. It was, you know, I don't think it was for pussy. I don't think it was for money. I think it was because, <laughs> like, you know, just to declare that I'm here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Reckon with me. Right, yeah, absolutely. And what better way to sort of uh, give shit to every asshole you hate from high school is show business. Sure, get on stage and just fucking dump it out. Uh, right. 
and so then you, you know well how old were you when you got mad tv 27 all right so you already uh, you know yeah, you were around 20. a bit yeah you had 20, a life 27 but I, I went out to la yeah. with a bad coke problem i i when i when i was struggling in uh what were we what are we talking an eight ball a night uh, easy easy <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it, and it, you know i, I cab money uh, uh I, I was making i started doing some road gigs some colleges everything yeah. went to that and then uh you know taking you know getting shit from the audience and stuff like that um did you ever go downtown to uh, the Lower East Side? Oh yeah. Did you ever go to Jimmy's? <laughs> yeah. I used to go to I used to go to Blondie's. I used to go to all these after hours clubs, um, uh, that were really really fucking scary, man. Some of them. But, but there was uh, a guy I used to buy from. We don't have to mention his last name. He's yeah. on the Lower East Side. He's a bald guy. Lived in an apartment. Okay. Had, and it was cluttered with stuff like my garage here. <laughs> his name was Hammerhead. Did you ever go to Hammerhead? Don't apartment? know Hammerhead. Oh. I don't. I don't think so. No. Oh. It was great. It was like, it was just, you'd go up there and he'd put shit out and you'd spend like eight hours there right. watching and people come in and out. You find out some of these dealers, yeah. you know, you think you have this romantic notion of them or how tough they are. Some of them are just lonely. Oh, some yeah. Those guys, like, let's hang out. I'll yeah, get yeah. a couple of lines or whatever. I would talk to me. Oh, my God. There was, not, when I was in college and I started, that's when I really started doing blow a lot. Yeah. And I knew the guys, you know, the, usually you're buying from guys who are in college. It's all over Boston, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really that's is easy to get. Boston. It's easy to get coke in Boston. Oh yeah, there was a, and I knew the guy who had it, so I'd go get a, like a suitcase of Bud, right? And I'd be like, I'm in for the night. Yeah. I'm gonna go over to his house, yeah. and bring the Budweiser. I'll pay for like a half a gram, the and then I'll thing. just sit around all night. Yeah, yeah, and, you th and again, you think you figured out life? Yeah. It's like, how, how come everybody isn't doing this? <laughs> I'm the asshole. I'm the asshole. <laughs> yeah, look. I'm the asshole. It's four in the morning. I'm up and I'm thinking I'm going to die, but it was a good night. Exactly. Oh, that's where you really feel it. All right. So you go out to LA. I go out to LA. And the first time I'm ever in Los Angeles is a screen test for Mad TV. I never came out here just to check out the lay of the land or nothing. I knew nobody. Yeah. I didn't know how to get from Highland to over the hill. I don't yeah. know. No, no, nothing. Yeah. So uh, they put me in the Oakwood Apartments in North Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, my my dealer in New York knew a guy here. Sure. And uh, he, he said, they call my guy. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I started making $10,000 a week, you know, uh, and uh, I would literally before my, my agent was William Marsh at the time and I would, I would get the check before they, I would go to the accounting department, yeah. which was on the same lot we were shooting the show and I don't no, no, give me the check. And, no, that's a mistake. I'll send them the commission and I would cash it. I would Western Union, my mother, four grand. Yeah. And I go, that's yours. And then I would take like six G's and I would walk around LA like I was Jack Nicholson. <laughs> You know, and you I sent your mom four grand every week. Every week, and you yeah. did that. Yeah, you, that never stopped. Uh, a couple of weeks I missed, but most of the time I sent her money. Sure. That, well, that's a, I started paying her bills. You that, know. Well, that but see that that's a testament to that on some level, no matter how dark you got. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That was in place. I had to do it. Well, my old man took about a boulder of guilt. <laughs> uh, basically, on his deathbed, my father said, "Take care of your mother." Yeah. I'm like, is that what you fucking got for me, man? You're not even leaving me. The, the, you had no will because there was nothing. <laughs> I, I don't want to say you're a failure, but I don't want to give you shit that you're about to go here, but I'm not, you're not leaving me with a piece of sheetrock. That's what you got for me? <laughs> you're about to go. Like if I, you take care of your mom. Okay, fine. Anything else you want me to do? <laughs> want me to fix the bathroom while I'm at it? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I, that's that's what I tried to do. But my mother, you know, took care of me in other yeah. ways. Yeah. In every way, but I- She's still around? Yeah. 71, still kicking. Uh, it's funny. I, I bought her a house and- uh, she, uh, she, and then when after I I tried to commit suicide, 
uh, I got out of the nut house yeah. and I went back to her house and she was like, I thought when you bought me this, you weren't going to be here anymore. <laughs> but she wanted me to stay. So I lived in this bedroom above the garage for like this a after year. You, after you, you got nowhere else to go and you're out of the nut house and you go, you got to go live with her. Well, I had a place right. and, and she, but it was, it was her decision too because she didn't want me out of her sight. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, she didn't want you out of her sight. You right, right. Yeah. She wanted me to yeah, hang yeah, out. So, yeah. So I stayed there for. Mark, I, I was in bed for like a year in a dark room trying to figure out, okay, how do I get out of this hole? You know, This and, is after. Uh, this is after I, I stabbed myself nine times. I slipped my wrist. I drank bleach. Um, <laughs> you, you definitely tried. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't half-assed. <laughs> no one's going to criticize you for the effort. You know, it's funny. I, I thought to myself, what if I just check into the Four Seasons on yeah. a high floor and just jump out the window? Oof. And uh, I swear to God, this went through my mind. And, and you know, it's, again, it shows how you think. I said, what if I fall on somebody? That's all I thought about. Yeah. I said, imagine that motherfucker. I felt so bad for that guy in my head that I fell on. And I imagined his mother on Dr. Phil or something. Yeah, yeah, going, yeah. Oh, and underneath her crying and underneath her it says, Artie Lang fell on her son. <laughs> And and my luck, I'd serve. He'd break my fall. I'd live. Yeah, be with your father. Yeah, and I'd be a quadriplegic. <laughs> yeah. You know. Sometimes I went and I went through this other thing where I really got crazy. Where when I was in the nut house and it was just terrible and filthy and everything. I said maybe I did die and I'm in hell. That would make sense. This so is your brain was that gone that you, you weren't clear sometimes. It was delusional. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I want to get. I want to get. I want to move up to that that point. So, all right. So, but let's go back to L.A. So you got you're getting ten thousand a week, right? So I start doing coke like a madman, and uh, running around like Jack Nicholson. Yeah, but I but, made it. I made it to work every day. I was doing my job. Remember my lines, everything. Uh, <laughs> literally remembered my lines, and I. Uh, uh, one the one day I had I had like seven sketches I had to be in the, they used to give you videotapes of people you had to do impressions of yeah and I'll never forget this uh, we did this awful like uh, it, it was like we did these um, uh, film parodies like in Mad Magazine yeah so they wrote a sketch called Casino Man that was the movie Casino and yeah. Casino Man right? yeah right. now I had to play Joe Pesci yeah. and my buddy Dave Herman had to play uh, uh, <laughs> had to play Paul Shore. Shore yeah so they they give him. Paulie Shore's stand-up on a Walkman, and yeah. he's got to walk around a lot listening. <laughs> oh, he qu yeah. quit every two seconds. <laughs> and uh, I had to you know, listen to Pesci to do Pesci, and I hated the way I was doing it. I said, this is going to suck, and I, I stayed in my apartment at the Oakwoods, and I, I got all this coke, and I, I, when I ran out of it, on I ran out of it Monday morning at about 3 o'clock, and I had to be at work at 7 for this network read-through that I wasn't ready for and I was in a huge panic, and I, I wrote a suicide note. I wrote a note to my mother and sister, and it said something like, Mom and Stace, I'm sorry. I, I can't do this anymore. Do me a favor and keep on living. I'll see you down the road maybe. Uh, and I signed the, I signed my name. I took like 20 pills, sleeping pills that I had, prescription, like 10 Excedrin PM, and a whole bottle of whiskey. And uh, my, my arm started to shake. I fell asleep. I was never late for work, thank God, and the assistant director came and got me, and uh, when I was late, they broke into my place and they found me and sent me to St. Joe's in Burbank and I woke up in St. Joe's. So uh, that was the first suicide attempt. Yes. That's when I was 28. I just turned 28 and uh, I went away to uh, again a, a, a nut house for a few days at Cedar sinai and then uh, Quincy Jones produced Mad TV. Yeah. I had seven conversations with the guy in the two years I was there. They're the seven greatest conversations I've ever had in my fucking, <laughs> fucking life. Really? Yeah. He, he's, he's unbelievable. Uh, one time, 
uh, after this happened, he came up to me and uh, he goes, listen, man, he goes, you a funny cat. He goes, he goes, ah, these motherfuckers get fucked up with this shit. I can do it. I'm all right. But he goes, well, Billy Eckstein, Miles Davis, they were all fucked up. <laughs> and this is the most surreal thing. He's, he's comparing me to Miles Davis. I was loading a truck two years ago, you know, and, uh, and he goes, but you go back, you get better. And when you come back, you got a job here. Don't let anybody tell you different. You got a job. You call him. And he was true to his word. Uh, I wrote in my book. I go, I know why people thank that motherfucker at award shows. I went back. He gave me the time. I came back. He gave me my job right back. But I had to go. I went for three months away. And then I went back to LA. And I was clean for 10 months. And I never did better work in my life. The sketches, I was writing sketches that I thought were good. I, I was on every week. I was like four uh, sketches a week. Shit I was creating. A, a character that became yeah. like a thing. And then at one after party, man, 10 months I was a few weeks away from a year. Were you doing the thing, though? No, I wasn't right. working it, no. Yeah. And uh, I was just on my own. Um, we uh, They had after parties after every taping on a Friday night. Yeah. So I go, and I'm looking around. Everybody's drinking. And I said, I'm going to get a Jack and Coke. People think I'll have a... Just having a Coke. Right. And uh, I took a Jack... A sip of Jack and Coke. Oh. Three weeks later, I was in jail for possession of cocaine. Uh, you know that I went on a run and I, I went to Vegas. I lost all this money and I, I was in jail for possession. Of the I did a week in L.A. County for for cocaine possession and that was an eye opener. Yeah. Well, what? What? <laughs> what, what well, thank God I was a uh, I, I was on a TV show, yeah. which meant I was a celebrity. But it was Mad TV, so the guards had a like, two hour conversation whether or not I was a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> but that meant I got a red wristband, which means you two one of three things: you're a snitch, a murderer, or you're a celebrity of some kind. <laughs> That's the red wristband. Yeah. And, and that, I got my own cell. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, the guy next to me, this black guy who was doing nine, he was nine years in there yeah. waiting a trial for murder. And he, uh, he taught me how to fuck a roll of toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> and he said it was 10 times better than any bitch I ever had. <laughs> he said, take the cardboard out, moisten it, and just fuck it. You will never go back to a bitch, ever. It doesn't cost nothing. It don't say nothing. <laughs> but I showered there. Like, I know, well, three times I took a shower. Uh, like, I mean, I was never more happy to be fat and ugly in my life, but, uh, you know, no one ever came on to me, nothing like that. But it was, I don't know how people don't say that's a deterrent, man. Uh, a week in LA County, I was starting to climb the walls. I don't know how, nine years, I, I can't fuck. come on, man. So, okay, so you hit this wall again and, you yeah. know, and, and you're in jail. Then, right. then what does Quincy Jones say? Quincy Jones, uh, you know, says, maybe, you know, maybe this ain't working out. <laughs> <laughs> he goes. I think you can be okay, man. But you really, he goes. You really got to get, got to get, get this together. Uh, he's Frank Sinatra was still alive while I was there. My Italian answered always. So if you talk to Quincy Jones, answer about Frank Sinatra. We don't hear from him anymore. So we were at this luncheon that they invited us to, and yeah. I'm, I'm sitting right across from Quincy. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna ask him. He was eating a salad, and there were all these women there who were publicists and agents, you yeah. know, happy to be sitting with Quincy Jones. And I go, Quincy, you ever hear talk to Frank Sinatra anymore? And he puts his fork down. <laughs> And he looks up at me and real loud, it was, so all these women can hear, he goes, man, that motherfucker's got it in the head. He goes, uh, he, he can't remember shit from yesterday, but he knows shit we did with Gregory Peck in 1958. Yeah, and then I'm like, okay. And then he puts his foot down. He goes, he goes, I told him, your bitch is too old. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, and all these women are trying to ignore it because it's Quincy Jones. Oh, the salad is nice. He goes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told when a woman hits 31, you got to kick him out. They'll give you worms. I said, Lionel Hampton, he's 88. He's still torn. That's young pussy. 
<laughs> he goes, you need young pussy. He goes, I'm 63. You imagine me waking up next to a 63-year-old bitch. He goes, I couldn't do that. Come on, man. I tell these 24-year-old boys, I'll give you five minutes. Then you get out of here. He goes, that's what keeps you young. I told Sinatra that. He don't fucking listen. That was the conversation. Did you tell that to your family? <laughs> When your mother asked, did you get to No, but I wish my father was still alive to tell him because he would have probably won. He's right. He's right. <laughs> That'd be great if you're like your aunt says, what, did you ask him about Frank Sinatra? <laughs> yeah, I got a story for you. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that part. Well, I did. I said, yeah, he said, he, he said he's not doing great. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, you know. That's great. Yeah, so no, that was amazing. But um, I got out of jail and I went back. And again, that was- uh, To New York. Right. Or Jersey. Uh, Jersey. Yeah. And I go away for three months. I come out. I'm clean. Now I go back to New York, start doing stand-up again. So this is- uh, I think I kind of remember this. 97. Right. So, yeah, because I was still there. You're still out there. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it, you know, there's all these different phases with you where it's sort of like your Artie's back. Well, I started going- <laughs> Exactly. Right. I started going to Luna Lounge uh, when it was on Ludlow's. Place. Right. You were, uh, you were late one day. A plane was late. And right. I hosted one night. Right. Yeah, yeah. Ken, you remember Ken Trush and yeah. Peter Principato? Sure. So uh, they said, you know, Marin is late. His plane is late. Do you want to host? So I hosted one night and I did, uh, you know, a couple of sets there and everything. And it sort of let, you know, yeah, hey, he's back, blah, blah, blah. And uh, uh, I was about to uh, go back out to LA to start to get some shit done. And I got a call from a guy at MGM and said, Norm McDonald's doing a movie. And he had seen me on Mad TV. And it's a buddy comedy. For MGM, with, with, and Norm was the biggest thing on SNL at the time. Same producer does, you know, Sandler movies and shit and a uh, successful guy. And it's the second lead of a buddy comedy. Will you audition for it? I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I love Norm. So I, I auditioned in New York. I flew out to Santa Monica and I did a screen test with Norm and I got the job. And I'm in my hotel in Santa Monica. They put me and go, I'm fucking back here. Yeah. It's actually better. Like, it's like, I did two years on Mad TV. Everybody on Mad TV wants to get out to do movies. I'm in a movie. Yeah. Like, I'm an MGM movie. <laughs> Don Rickles was in it. Uh, the first scene I shot was Rickles. It was amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, Chevy Chase, Chris Farley. It was Farley's last movie, which, you know, again, that was another adventure. Did you hang out with him? Uh, yeah, yeah, in Toronto where we shot it. And it, it, he was the most fun I ever experienced in my life to be around. Yeah. But, but it, you know, it's just a matter of time, man. Like, even I was going, someone's got a Brillstein Gray hired some guy to watch him. Oh, those some, guys are always the worst. You know, bullshit guy. And yeah. Far, you could literally show the guy something shiny and fool. Yeah, you, you lose him in a hallway. Right. And while he's running around, like, whores were going in and out of his uh, yeah. trailer. But he was so funny, man. Uh, and just a. I a, heard a story a about hurricane. him. This guy tells yeah. me this story a Chicago guy about yeah. Farley. You know, like I think before he left Chicago, he said one time they were doing mushrooms and they were fucking just, yeah, and they were, you know, back in an apartment or something and they were just fucked up. Uh, and uh, and they'd done some mushrooms and they'd eaten all this shit. And I guess Farley was just sitting there and just sort of like, you know, threw up on himself, just sitting in a chair, just threw up on himself and looked at this guy and said, I guess I'm full. <laughs> The, 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 some of that shit, uh, like uh, I heard stories like when he would do improv, yeah, and, like it would be his turn in some improv yeah. game, and he'd go up there and go, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he, he really was. And you look at some of those sketches, that motivational speaker guy, the Chris Farley show, yeah. just this brilliant guy. And then, and he's he's real funny in the movie. I had scenes with him. The last scene he ever did, I'm him. Yeah, he died two months later. Ugh. Uh, that, but do, do those things resonate with you when you're where you are? Like, it yeah. should. I, I was listen. 
You talk about being rewarded for bad behavior. Yeah. I got out of the Mad TV deal, which is a five-year deal. Okay, I did two years on a sketch show, and you're like, fine. I got this great reel out of it. I was there long enough to have this reel with doing shit. Yeah. Uh, I get an MGM movie. People hear that, so NBC sitcoms start calling, do you want to be this guy on whatever? Yeah. And I can't because I'm shooting a movie. When you tell a network that, they love, they're just bitches. They love yeah, hearing yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go, when Artie's done with the movie, we'd love to meet him. I finish in Toronto shooting this film, and people thought it was going to be huge, you know, before it came out. So I fly to L.A. I got this reel. I got the the, the, the stories from this fucking movie I just did for MGM. And I, I go in there, and I meet every network. And I'm, I, I kill in all these rooms, taking meetings. And I end up with a $750,000 development deal at Fox to do a, a show. Yeah. And I'm like, this is crazy. And, and <laughs> the first check was $250,000. And I took it to my mom, and her hands were shaking when I gave it to her. And she was like, she goes, what do you have to do for this money? <laughs> <laughs> she thought I was in slavery forever. I go, my, I just got to shoot a show. She goes, well, no, what do you have to do for this? <laughs> Her hand was really shaking with the check, and I started a corporation, and I, I've never looked back, but, you know, uh, and my fucking up wasn't even done. You know, I, I, I was in L.A. after taking those meetings. I, I saw on the TV, because I was going back for Christmas, yeah. that Farley died, yeah. and you see those dates underneath them, and again, yeah, yeah. same age with as the dash. yeah. He's with a whore, yeah. drugs, yeah. you know, and uh, and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll learn from this, but not even close, man. <laughs> not even fucking close. <laughs> now it's different, Mark. Now, you know, you, yeah. and you, you can relate to this too, yeah. obviously. Now it's not just people who are your heroes. Now it's people you know. Right, your buddies. Now it's buddies you know who you think are brilliant. Like you had Kinnison and you talk about... With now Geraldo, Hedberg. And now Mitch Hedberg and Greg Giraldo, two of my Giraldo, good friends. Both, right? Giraldo, well, that was crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Another brilliant guy. And, um, you know, I, I had the story I tell in my book about uh, we were going out to the William Shatner roast. Yeah. And uh, this is a great story about roasts and, like, comics. But um, I'm in the. We're, we're both coming out from New York to do yeah. the roast. So Comedy Central gets his first class tickets. We're leaving from JFK. I'm yeah. in the JFK first class lounge. Yeah. And Geraldo comes in, like, tweaking out of his mind. He was like, I fell off the wagon, dude. I've been up for three days. Yeah. Blow everything. My wife's kicking me out. And I'm like, oh, well, sit down, calm down. I had Vicodin on me. I said, take a couple of Vicodin. I'll yeah. get you a Budweiser. Yeah. You know? And uh, we had a couple of beers. He calmed down. I literally held his hand, like, through. I changed my seat to sit next to him. Uh, when he went to the bath, he was afraid to go to the bathroom. I walked up to the bathroom with him and made sure no one walked oh, in on him. Paranoid? Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. all paranoid. And I had been there, you know, yeah. and I thought he would do the same for me, you know. And uh, we landed. I, I let my car go. I went in the car with him, literally holding his hand, got him, tucked him into bed. Like, everything's going to be fucking fine. Yeah. He fell asleep. I thought he was okay. I left. The next morning, we had to go to a, uh, you know, shoot the rose. Yeah. And he, he calls me at eight in the morning. I wake up and he goes, dude, you saved my fucking life, man. Thanks. I'm, I'm better. Yeah. I can do this. I go, great, man, because you, you can't blow this off. You're going to be all right. He goes, yeah. We go there. He's the first guy up. Yeah. I'm sitting next to Andy Dick, of all people. Yeah. There was a bar on the fucking stage. Right. <laughs> and uh, me and Andy Dick are drinking. First thing out of Geraldo's mouth. And they never aired it on the show. They cut it out. But, you know, I guess I'm not famous enough for it to be the first joke. But the first thing he says, he goes, Artie Lang is here. And it was like applause. And he goes, look at you, you fat fucking drug addict. <laughs> 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 and then he looked over at me and kind of went, I got it. Sorry. <laughs> got to do it it's the nature of what we do i, I gotta do it yeah now in in this whole story when did you start doing howard's show all right so i do the movie with norm yeah i shoot uh i i get the whole 750 grand from that deal because i shoot a pilot yeah. it's i don't know what happened to it. it's going to show up someday it's the worst pilot of all time and i'm bad in it yeah but i learned a bunch about why are you bad in it 
I, the, the script was not ready to be shot. They rushed it along, yeah. and I, 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 I kind of phoned it in because I hated it. I did not want it to get picked up. Yeah, and uh, it, it's just, it's just not a good project. Right. But I got all this money for it, and uh, I learned a lot. And then immediately, I get another deal for another like four hundred thousand dollars from NBC because yeah. because they see you know by that time the King of Queens was on so they're like uh, you know he's a fat guy maybe if we put him in a UPS outfit he could make us some money uh, you know not it's that, so, what costume do we put the fat guy that's in? that was what they were thinking man. yeah so I get another deal I'm like okay fine it's great I was but I was starting to do a lot of stand up on the road making money and uh, then I shot this movie with Spade that came out and bombed. I shot a movie called The Bachelor with Renee Zellweger and Chris O'Donnell up in San Francisco. That was I was the third lead. It was the biggest movie I was ever involved with. That came out, didn't do anything. I did a movie called Mystery Men, nothing. Uh, and another movie called The Fourth Floor that did nothing. So all the, you know, in the movie business, they don't give you a lot of chances. Yeah. But to promote dirty work, Norm was going into Howard to to shoot the uh, to you know promote it yeah. so he knew i was a big fan of howard and he said why don't you come in with me you can meet everybody and he said i'll try to bring you on the show because howard busts my balls a lot if he's busting my chops i'll bring you in and we'll talk about the movie that's yeah. the bullshit thing right. i shouldn't have seen that coming so i uh <laughs> i go in he's busting norm's chops he goes hey uh, howard uh, my buddy Artie's here so howard says well bring him in i'll ignore him for 10 minutes i don't care so gary brings me in as he's putting the headsets i told everybody to listen to my life family as he's putting the headphones on me, Norm says, uh, hey, uh, Howard, you're like Artie. He got kicked off of Mad TV because of cocaine. Yeah. And just right under the bus. And Howard's eyes darted to me. Yeah. And I just said, fuck it. I just let the whole story out. No holes barred. Yeah. And uh, he loved it. Yeah. And he said, I love out of control people. You're a friend of the show. Come back anytime. That's what he said. So everybody's like, oh, my God, he said that. Blah. It's like being anointed. By he me. loves out of control people. He said that on the mic or off the mic? Uh, on the mic. On the mic, yeah. I love out of control it loves, people. I love out of control people. He does. Isn't yeah. that interesting? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is entertaining. So uh, so I go back with Norm again uh, to promote Dirty Work when it came out on DVD or something and had more crazy stories, and he loved that. So then when the movies go away, uh, Norm wants me to do a sitcom. Yeah, because he's got he gets a sitcom deal. Yeah, and he goes, you can play like my half brother or something. So yeah. I go in, I read for the guy, Bruce Helfer, the guy that Drew Carey, and uh, he goes, he's great, but fine. So I become a regular on a sitcom now. Now yeah. I'm making thirty five grand a week for like I, I got to memorize eight lines. Yeah, I memorize my lines on the corner of Moore Park and fucking Beverly <laughs> Glen, whatever. And uh, I, yeah, every Friday I'm getting thirty five grand. I come out here, I move to the Wilshire Corridor, I get a place for four G's a month, and. Uh, I, I was thin, I was healthy, I was I was eating egg white omelets at the Beverly Hills Hotel, I got down to 180, I had a tan, I bought a fucking 500 SL convertible, I would take out the PCH. And you're not doing drugs? I was banging broads. I, I was drinking on the weekends like a normal human being. Something happened, I didn't need dope, nothing. Huh. And uh, for two years, I never was healthier in my life, but I was on an ABC primetime sitcom that I thought was gonna be like Norm, and it wasn't. And Norm gave up, he couldn't fight them anymore. He said, okay, well just, get me syndication money like it did drew carry i'll read your shit scripts and when norm gave up so did i creatively and we just started mailing it in but it lasted two full years um and uh, the, the first 10 were amazing because norm they, they had norm's input they were edgy and we still did some real funny stuff because norm was hilarious Lori metcalf was on it yeah yeah uh she was amazing and norm is always funny but uh, after two years, it, it went away. But I had all this money, and I, 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 I went. 
and in that, those two years, we went into Howard each year again, another two times. So a total of four times, Norm brought me in there. And every time he liked me because I had these crazy stories. So I was on his radar. I was on yeah. Howard's radar. So, you know, life is all timing. I, when the Norm show got canceled, I was out of that deal and I went back to New York and I finally bought a place. First time in my life I was going to own some. So I buy, I buy this big condo in Hoboken overlooking the city. You still got it? Uh, still got it, yeah. I, I, I get my mom a place. I take care of her. And I figured I'm going to have to go back to L.A. at some point to play the fat neighbor on some shit sitcom, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I needed money, man. What was I going to do? But uh, my stand-up was where I really let loose. I found when I was on that sitcom, my stand-up got darker and darker because it was so much fun not to be doing those lines. And when I was at the Funny Bone in St. Louis, it got crazy. Yeah. You know? And that's when I came into my own as a stand-up. Ironically enough, being on a ABC sitcom is what made me better as a stand-up comic. Because you hated yourself. Yes. <laughs> and I felt dead inside in yeah. a way. And the way to get uh, yeah. get rid of that was be edgier and crazier and take more risks as a comic. Oh, yeah, because like, you know, you got all this stuff building out. Yeah. And it's like, I need the real me out. And it was before every jerk-off had a cell phone taping you. Right. So remember when it was midnight at a club and in Cincinnati? It, it was and, just you and those people. And, the then, and that world. was it. That was it. And you could do whatever you had to do to get on stage, get the laughs. Now it's you and everyone in the fucking world. And, and on Twitter, you can't, there's no uh, one not... You can't do anonymous sets anymore. Exactly. And an anonymous set is what makes you, you know, become... better. The comics are going to get worse, man, because they're going to check themselves all the time. They're, they're going to want to do... Se the seven minutes is always going to have to be I, killer, yeah. and, and they're not going to want to see themselves bombing on Instagram or whatever the fuck it is, and they're never going to take risks and fail, and we're going to have a generation of shit comics. Yeah, well, it's happening. But, but, I, but I used to... I've sometimes been on stage, and I said, look, I'm going to do this bit, but you can't... No one tell my girlfriend about it. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> don't, don't tweet her. Don't tweet this. Don't you know? Don't and put it up. And how's she gonna find anyone? out you're at Yuck Yucks in Detroit or whatever the fuck? No one is gonna find out. Right, about but it. yeah, just no tweeting this yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, and like of okay, course, so like a lot of those dicks are gonna apply to that. Yeah, you know. So it really is a plus. The other thing's gonna hurt comedy is is the Red Sox being good. <laughs> Boston's going to have a bunch of asshole winners coming at him. <laughs> really? It really is going to hurt. The funniest people on the planet are from Boston yeah. or, or spend time in Boston. That's true. And all that angst and everything. And now you got the Patriots and the, the Celtics won one. And now these guys. DePaulo will still always be angry. Uh, uh, Nick, is, uh, <laughs> Nick does not know how to tell it, but like exactly how it is, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I, again, and he's, it's great to see him in the age of Twitter because it's just, it's fucking, he's amazing. Yeah, so I, I was on Howard's Radar and it got canceled. So I go back home and Jackie leaves the fucking show. So everybody, like a lot, a lot of comics, know, hey, Jackie left Stern and Howard announced on the air, listen, this is a free chair. We're having on-air auditions. We're giving away Jackie's money. If you're a comic, send us a tape, come in and sit here and we'll see how you are. And I'll never forget, the first comic I heard on it was Doug Stanhope, and yeah. he was great. He was killing, Howard loved all the dark stuff he was doing, his jokes were great. And I'm like, wow, that must, that, 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 that's got to be hard to try. Conan Smith called me up, you know, I was my guy at the time, and Peter Principato called me on a conference call yeah. and said, you know, I talked to Gary and Howard, and they, they love you uh, from coming in with Norm. Would you want to sit in a couple? Of, and it was the most intimidating thing ever, but I said, of course, you know. You grew up with Howard? Yes. I, I, my father turned me on to him. Yeah. Uh, when I was 13 years old, my father came home from work one day and he said, you got to hear this guy. Yeah. You know, and uh, he took me to work with him the next day just to hear Howard. And uh, we would be late for jobs because we were sitting in the car. Yeah. And I never laughed so hard. It's one of those like, it's like the first time I saw Letterman or a Woody Allen movie or a Richard Pryor yeah. album, Carlin. You know, when I first heard Howard on the radio, I was like, wow, it could be that fun, man. It could be really just that fun. Yeah. He was having so much fun, you know <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and he's making a living, and and uh, it was it was like an eye opener. So I I got hardcore with him. Yeah. I became one of those Jersey guys. I was Howard. You know? Yeah, yeah. I went to rallies for him and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I. Uh, I said, okay, so May 7th, 2001, it was a Monday. Uh, they gave me the Monday and Tuesday, the 7th and 8th to sit in. And uh, from the very beginning, I, there were other guys sitting there at the time who were in there who I thought were funnier than me, but I said, no one's a bigger fan of the show. No one's going to know when to shut up. I know Howard. I know yeah. when to shut up. I know what he likes. I know his sense of humor. I know I'm not, I'm not going to waste time doing my act for him. Yeah. And... Uh, and it just it just was perfect. It was perfect. I, I left there. I went out on 6th Avenue at 11 o'clock. UPS drivers were yelling at me, oh, was that chick's tits real? <laughs> Did you really do that? And like, construction workers taking my picture, walking down. And I walked from 6th Avenue to the village. Yeah. Just in a daze. Like, oh, well, uh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, was my, it, that was the biggest moment of your life. But probably, yeah. I, just like, because I, of your love for Howard. And I found my thing. You know, yeah. I found something that's going to... Give me a mark in this fucking world. You right. know, it wasn't Mad TV. It wasn't uh, the movies. It wasn't normal. It wasn't my stand-up yet, as far as I thought. But but this is something. I bet I could be good at this. Yeah. And every and it wasn't just a little thing. It was a man, like millions of people. Yeah, it was Howard across the right? yeah. And and it shows you how fucking stupid and naive agents are. Here, a couple of guys who represented me back then in L.A. said, "Well, you just did a sitcom. You're not going to do radio." I said, radio? I said, I'm doing the Howard Stern. I'm not going to do the Z-Morning fucking zoo. I said, this is my Johnny Carson. I'm doing What are you, an asshole? I want to strangle him. I go, yeah, I'm doing, I'm leaving the ABC sitcom to do Howard Stern. Wow. I'm fucking really suicidal about that. So uh, they came close to what I was making on the sitcom. And I said, I'll make up the rest on the fucking road. Yeah. I'm already getting calls. I don't need to, I can book them myself. So, uh... I did three solid months of the Stern Show where I became a regular. Eventually, he gave me every Thursday and Friday. So come in every Thursday and Friday. And it just got killer and killer and killer. And it was just amazing. It was flowing. And, you know, he wanted me to write like Fred and Benji did and Jackie did so brilliantly for him. But I wasn't good at writing his voice. So he wasn't using the jokes. And he said to me, he goes, listen, I'll just keep your mic on all the time. So if you think of something funny, don't write it. Just say it. It's better coming out of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, being bad at the writing part is what made me a, a third host of the show. Yeah. No one had ever had their mic on all the time. Yeah. <laughs> except him and Robin. Right. So I became the only guy ever in the history of that show to have a mic on all the time and had carte blanche to talk whenever I wanted to, even with guests and everything. And uh, Principato called me up uh, in September and said they're going to make an offer to have you there every day. And it was like it was like heroin going through my body. It was just like, wow, complete euphoria. And they gave me about half of what I was making on uh, on the sitcom, but would stand up at the end of the first year, I had doubled it. And, you know, it was, I found my Yankee Stadium. Man. Yeah, that you know, was it. I, I, I was, it was my mark I could make. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about this sometimes, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, you, you finally, you always knew you had it, and you could you could do something special, yeah. and this was my special thing. It's great. And uh, yeah, so I, I lasted eight and a half years. I've never had a job that long. Seven were sheer bliss. The last year and a half, I had become a heroin addict, so I moved from coke. And the last time I ever did blow, people can't believe it, the last time I ever did coke was June the 14th, 1997. I, I It became such chaos in my life. I got rid of it, never picked it up again. And, yeah. and you know how it is sometimes. At clubs, people would put it in my hand. I had it in my hand, and I had enough willpower to blow to say, listen, you got two seconds or I'm dropping it to take yeah. it out of my yeah. hand. So I was that good with it. Uh, Just but, drinking. Yeah, but one day uh, one day on the road, I, I, I got addicted to the money, and um, 
I mean, the most I made in one night uh, when I was uh, 2008 uh, Super Bowl Eve at Mandalay Bay, I did two shows. Uh, and one night I made $140,000 doing stand-up. They, they gave me sixty grand for each show, and they gave me twenty grand to go to their stupid club and say, stay there for an hour and say I was there. I lost eighty grand at the tables, and I spent another ten grand on a whore. One whore, 10 Gs. She looked like a young fucking Christy Turlington. They're out there. <laughs> and I, uh, 10 Gs. Yeah, right. And uh, I got free drugs. And by that point, I was gone. I was a heroin addict at that point. But uh, When did that start? And I, Who started that with you? Well, I, in, in the 2004, I was on the road, and I created a schedule that with morning radio you could never do. Because I've become nocturnal on the weekends with clubs, and, yeah. like in Phoenix or whatever. Fly yeah, I did morning radio. It's impossible. I, I, as a comic, I never forget. Colin Quinn said to me, "He goes, when I got the 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 job, he said that's the greatest thing ever. I give you three weeks, <laughs> you know, because it is, you know, for comics. What are you going to do? Oh, you walk around like you're you're like been like hitting the head all the time. And I tried to staying up all night thing a couple times and doing sets at the cellars. It never worked. So I. Uh, Jimmy Norton actually does that in the most. He he does O and A and he he does sets and he's amazing at that. I never could do that. I never. I, you know, I think I I used to sleep during the day for a few hours. Right. Like my, I got to the point where it's sort of like if I can get seven or eight in, even if it's broken up. Right. I, right. I can manage. What was that radio show you did for that? that Rare America. Yeah, Rare America I did was six morning. Or nine. It was morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I had to get up at four because we had a crunch news. Right. 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 Exactly. So and and with Howard, that's the thing. There was no crunch news. Yeah, like there was no. It. He did whatever he wanted. Yeah, he stayed on till eleven. There was no. Yeah. St- and uh, it's funny. The show I do now, I got to hit hard breaks and all that shit. Sure. I, <laughs> I was on the greatest radio show ever, and because of that, I don't know how to do radio. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, in two thousand four, I got this crazy schedule where I got like a, a paper route and a stand up comic uh, schedule. Yeah. And I start taking pills to get up and come down. I start taking Adderall to get up, and you know, which is basically a cute word for amphetamines. Yeah. And I um. Uh, what were you taking to come down? I was taking, you know, opiates. I started taking painkillers. Yeah. And uh, they were littered all over the streets of Manhattan. Literally, I can't find them. Oxys? Yeah. I, well, Vicodin, Percocets, uh, Oxys uh, here and there. But uh, the worst of those time-release Oxys, I took them thinking they were the immediate things. I'm like, yeah. what, what's going on? Like, I was wait three hours. <laughs> and I would take like 40 of them. <laughs> and then three hours later, I was <laughs> I was like Jimi Hendrix at, at the Monterey Pop Festival. And I, I'm like, wow, I, this, is, this is dangerous. <laughs> I want the shit that hits you right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't uh, time this properly. Yeah, so I don't have that kind of time. So I got up to like taking 50 pills a day. So I went to this one club and I was in full blown withdrawal when I got there. There were three sold out shows. Yeah. And uh, sweating. Sweating. You can. The guy, the manager of the club said, what do you need to get on stage, man? I got to get you on stage. I said, you know, I got money. Can you can you get me 100 perks a 10 milligram? He goes, I can. He goes, how many are you taking a day? I go, like, maybe 30. So he says out loud, he goes, uh, you should try heroin. It's better for your liver. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> out loud, and I said, thank you, doctor. So uh, <laughs> he got me to Percocet to, to get me through the show. But then at the end of the night, he had uh, four bags of heroin, four, yeah. four $40 bags. This must have been near New York. And it was brown. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say where it was. I'll, no, no. Yeah. But, but, uh, oh, so it was the Mexican stuff. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, uh, he goes, just snort it, you know. And I, uh, I'm like, all right. So I go back to my hotel. I did three lines of it that were, you know, yeah. liberal, generous lines. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I put the the mo- mo- just I put on the the, the TV and there <laughs> yeah. was some movie on yeah. and when my head hit the pillow I said out loud knowing me I said mm-hmm. out loud I'm in trouble <laughs> I'm in trouble it was euphoria like I never felt before through me and my head at that pillow and you know how I could tell heroin's great yeah. people say why is heroin addictive this is my answer the movie that was on was Alex and Emma with Luke Wilson and Kate Hudson and I and I never turned it off. <laughs> By the end, I was crying, going, is Emma, are you getting back with Emma? Is Alex going to get back with Emma? Because that was rude what you said to her. <laughs> I swear to that, that was the movie. And uh, everything was great. And the thing about heroin to me was you didn't forget your problems. You remembered them, but you didn't give a fuck about them. Yeah. It was great. I was like, fuck you, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. And again, uh, the right. same thing with Coke. I said, I found this, but I could control this. It's yeah. all right. Yeah. First six months, uh, my tolerance wasn't up, and it was great, blah, blah, blah. I was able to get a contact that kept me supplied. Because with opiates, if you have a supply and you never go into that withdrawal phase, you'll keep up appearances, and you'll be sure. all right. You want to be out. Right. My tolerance got built up after six months, and uh, and then I was like, oh, my God, I'm not getting high anymore. Ugh. And uh, I, I couldn't stop withdrawals. And then, then I started missing shit, showing up to shit looking bad. Um trips on the road were hell because i'm like okay i gotta find a contact in pittsburgh otherwise i'll die in pittsburgh right from withdrawals or that's something. it that's the worst thing about that kind of narcotic Off, right you can't you gotta have a guy becomes everywhere. a part of your body did you ever hire a guy to find guys for you <laughs> absolutely they were on the payroll you know right. and uh I, I hired two guys to keep me away from drugs and i told them uh that the one guy was my security who was getting me drugs they were on the road at the same time with me <laughs> Uh, and, uh, I, uh, so I would go into Pittsburgh or wherever and I would say to, uh, like a concierge or a taxi driver, you find one guy who's okay. What do you yeah. need? And again, the bad neighborhoods, everything. And I almost missed spots at clubs cause I was copping yeah. in a strange city. Cause if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to. And then you just, it's all you, you think about. It's all you think about. Right. Exactly. It becomes, yeah, it doesn't fuck pussy. Yeah. Uh, money, career, friendships, family. Yeah. yeah. All you think about is, is the next fucking hit. Avoiding the withdrawal. Yeah. Avoiding the withdrawals. Cause it's like, you know, the, uh, the worst flu times a million. Yeah. Uh, and then I uh, got introduced to Suboxone, Subutex, which is this uh, drug that you put under your tongue yeah. and it takes away the withdrawals. It's right. part opiate, but you take one eight milligram tablet and you have no withdrawals and you can operate. You know? right. uh, uh, someone who never took heroin before would get blind high on it, but you know, with the tolerance, yeah. it just stops the withdrawals. I got that, uh, and as long as you waited 12 hours, you could do more opiates. Right. You take that Suboxone, you commit it to 12 hours or nothing, because if yeah. you mix them, you go into the worst withdrawal ever, which I did once. I was going, I got offered to get roast Bob Saget for Comedy Central. And I woke up, uh, I had done a, a bunch of heroin at about two in the morning. I woke up at six to catch a plane. I took us a box and forgetting I did it. And I, I turned green. I, 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 I was going to die. Oh my God. And my assistant at the time came over to get me to the plane. And I said, you got to call Comedy Central. Yeah. This is a girl I just hired. Yeah. You know, and say, I can't go to the roast. This <laughs> yeah. is like the day before the roast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know Jeff Ross has a bunch of fat jokes, but yeah. this is this is serious. <laughs> he's he's going to have to shelf those till he's, the next one. Right, he's going to have to maybe you know maybe <laughs> they ended up getting Jeff Garland yeah to take my place because I think Ross bitched that he had too much too, too many, many fat, fat jokes. Yeah, fat jokes. <laughs> yeah. so uh, lose the drug parts. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We still got a few that'll work. 
<laughs> yeah, he's gonna have to call an audible at the line. Jeff. <laughs> so, uh, I, and she she started to cry. I'm like, I can't call Comedy Central. So I called my lawyer and my manager at the time, and uh, they got on the phone with uh, the guy who directs all the the the, the roast, Gallon, Joel Gallon, yeah, and uh, who I had been friendly with. And they tried everything. They were man. They said I never felt more important in my life. They said we'll get you a private jet to Teterboro. There'll be a doctor on it. Come out here. And if you're not good to do it when you get out of here, we'll eat the sixty grand, whatever. But I said no, I can't. I can't. I got. I had to go to the hospital, and I missed Saget's roast. It was a friend of mine because he directed Dirty Work. Norm did it, and they all thought I died. They're like they're not telling us I already died. So yeah. they're going through that. They got to do the roast thinking I died. Yeah. And then when they got done with the roast, they're going to find out I died. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I had to blow it off, and it was, you know, and I got to make this calls to apologize, and, you know, and I went back on Howard. The thing was, as long as I could make it into a great story on Howard, it was fine. <laughs> right. And, and, and Howard uh, didn't want to fire me. He doesn't like firing anybody, because he goes, you're making a living. Like, how could that be good for you? You don't understand that. And with me, he was right. I think if he fired me, it would have been the end of me, because that's, that's that's my psycholo uh, psychological makeup. But was there conversations off air? You yeah, know, where he'd be uh, like, oh, what, yeah. are you, "What are you going to do?" Yeah, uh, at the you know, eventually he said uh, he he gave me the best thing a boss could could give you. He said, uh, uh, "Listen." Um, you have as much time as you want to get better. Take eight months. When you come back, you have a job. I mean, how much better could that be? And I would shit all over that. I go, great. I'd stay for eight days. Uh, I went to one rehab in Miami, just broke out after eight days, and went to South Beach and got a room with the Satai. I called Howard, fucked up, you know, on uh, the air. one morning on the air with the room service guy there. I put him on the air. What is already eating? And pancakes and everything. And uh, then eventually Howard said, you got to go get better. You're not. You can't come back until you know. Which was the greatest thing he could have done. And I went away and uh, left another rehab. Uh, when you leave rehabs, you you literally break out of them. Or? Well, no, you could check yourself out because you're an yeah. adult. You're not committed. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes, like they really don't want you to leave, and you there's screaming matches out to the car. You yeah. Know? And I left, and uh, I went on a binge. And when when I ran out of shit. January 2nd, 2010, that morning, I, I decided I, I can't go to Spanish Harlem again. I can't do it. Can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. So I uh, I fucking tried to kill myself again with a knife. And, uh, you know, my mother and sister found me because they were on their way there for an intervention. So do you remember stabbing yourself? Yes. Yes. Oh. Uh, but I was, I was fucked up. But I remember. Were you high or in withdrawal? In withdrawal. Bad. So, and, uh, so do you think that that was what drove you? Well, that's the thing that saved me from being in the nut house for a year. Yeah, because of the the doctor said, "Listen, if you were totally straight, we could keep you here for two years." Yeah, but the fact that you were in that living hell, we get it. Sorta. Yeah, so you weren't thinking straight. And I said, "Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't do that right now." But I'm, I'm depressed as fuck. <laughs> right. But I wouldn't do that right now. Yeah, and uh, they let me out. It took me, and that, and that, that took me a year and a half, a year, a full year and a half. And thank God I had money saved. I had royalties from the book and shit coming in. I had an income, and I. I was lucky enough to be a guy that could take a year and a half to get better. And I came back and I got this job uh, at direct TV. My standup came back to book deal. It's I'm working more than I ever did. And I, I never felt better in my life. You know, you seem really clear. It's incredible that, you know, your memory is so, I mean, yeah. to the, it dates, you yeah. remember dates. I know. I know. It's very, uh, it's a curse and a, and a good thing. But when you were living at your mother's, when he said earlier that you know, there was the darkest year of your life, just sleeping there. And it room. was. And I had to go through that. I mean, that was what I had to go well, through. What was that like? What was happening? It's just nothing. It was it, My head wouldn't stop turning. It was crazy anxiety. 
and uh, I was getting guys to deliver shit outside my mother's house, like under the garbage can. So you still use them? Yeah, yeah. And uh, she had to go shopping every once in a while, and they leave they leave shit. And it's amazing how efficient guys can be. Do you ever wonder about that though? Though who are you know like there there are all these guys like you know when you see somebody like Mitch or yourself or 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 anybody that 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 people know publicly use drugs. Yeah, that they're always there to give you drugs. Right. And you and in the moment they're you're businessmen. Like, I guess, but they're yeah. but they're usually guys they want to hang out to some of them and definitely yeah. and and so well yeah that's true and and some of them and look and I've been the asshole in that situation like look you know yeah it's full we could be friends but I gotta you, you gotta bring something to the table <laughs> yeah like I've and that's a hard thing to say when you yeah. think you're a nice person but when you have an addiction but yeah you're right you find out that that like like guys on Wall Street these drug dealers are just ruthless businessmen you right know? that's what they are I know this is bad but look I got I got a kid to put through private school I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I kid's going to choke but haven't you ever had <laughs> yeah right have you ever had a drug dealer say look I can't I can't do this anymore with you. not not someone I'd call a full-blown dealer a guy that got me shit put oh, okay. it that way right. would say I can't do it anymore like right. a guy can't watch who this. knew people would say right. no but uh and those people slowly leave your life because you get the good people out. You weed them out. Yeah, the ones who are out. concerned. Right. And, mm. you, and you think the other guys are your pals. So then when, like, so you're still using drugs. You don't know what the hell you're going to do with yourself. And you're out of touch with Howard during this time? Uh, he, he, I would talk to him every once in a while. And he would just say, are you okay? Like, he, they, they just wanted me to be okay. They didn't know what to do. I mean, think about that. When a person you know does that, what the fuck do you do? Well, that's it, the problem. That's the whole codependent thing. Right. You, 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 you exhaust those people. Uh, yes. And I put them in a horrible position. And they were they were mortified. And they, they, just, they just said, look, we just want you to be okay. You know? Yeah. Get better, because yeah. I would call him sometimes. I would call Howard's answering machine, slurring like I can come back. I'm right, mm-hmm, yeah. like what? Do you, it's just, I mean, it's just you put him in in a bad spot, and uh, eventually, uh, a, a team of guys uh, who I knew uh, from the program. Uh, my mother got a number. They showed up one day at my mom's house and dragged me out of there. And the one guy even said to me, "I'm doing this for your mom. I know you're not ready, but she's gonna you're gonna kill her." Yeah. So they dragged <laughs> me in a car and they took me to a detox. Where I stayed for 19 days, the typical stage three. Yeah, and I detoxed from the shit, and then they shipped me right to a rehab, uh, Ambrosia uh, Rehab, in the outside of Miami. Yeah, and um, that's where I got better. That's where I got better. Three months I was there, three solid months, and uh, they did wonders for me. It's, it's amazing down there, and I uh, I came back normal. I said I had all this material, man. That's the other thing about. It. I had all this material from what had happened. I had a new hour. I thought. Yeah. My agent said, people call all the time, man, if you're ready. And I started making money again, and, and here I am. Here so I am. You've, been, you've been good since then? Well, oh, no, no. I relapsed twice since then. What, but for how it, long? the relapse lasted for two days most uh-huh. times. I was able to get right back into it. And so the last time is eight months. Well, that's great, man. Yeah. That's fucking great. Yeah. It's a good story. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a happy ending. Yeah. I hope. So far. <laughs> you're doing good now. Yeah. What are you doing out here now? I'm plugging a book. Oh, I have the book. Yeah, Crash and Burn. Yeah. It's out now. And, uh, you know, it's it's about the last four years. Too Fat to Fish, my first book, did so well that I I uh, I got a second deal immediately. Yeah. And they gave me 200 grand immediately as part of the advance. I spent it. I, I stabbed myself. I go, a year and a half, my agent calls me and says, listen, I'm, I'm glad you're better, but if you don't do a book, you need to give back that 200,000. So I said, okay, I'll do a book. What if I write about this? They said, well, they want you to. Yeah. So- and then the book became therapy for me, and I'm glad I wrote it. Well, it's interesting though. In the book, it seems like you know, you, you, you literally the suicide attempt is like what two paragraphs, right? Uh, it's 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 hard to write about, so I made it two harrowing paragraphs, and 
sort of move on. Why, you know? why is it hard to write about? It, because I, I'm mostly thinking of my mom with it. It's like I get welled up sometimes with that because, uh, you know, she found me and the, the woman between me and my father, my God, you know, if yeah. they're, you know. If there is a heaven, that broad is going. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, that's what I think about. Were you embarrassed? Oh, God, yeah, sure, sure. As a matter of fact, the first time I went back out on the street in New York when I felt better enough to walk around the city in the fall, get some air in yeah. my face, I was walking down like 38th Street or something, and some guy came up to me, oh, yeah, my God, it takes so much self-esteem after what you did to yourself to come out here. Man, I could never do that. It's so good you're not embarrassed by that. Keep it up, buddy. <laughs> And I said, maybe he's right. Just so now I'm just walking around takes guts. Just just walking the fuck around 38th Street takes guts. <laughs> you finally got there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm here. I reached Nirvana. <laughs> What's going on with Howard now? Uh, you know, last time I saw him, you know, you know, Robin got sick, and uh, I went to go visit her in the hospital. I saw Howard there, and it was like old times. Me and him made Robin laugh for like an hour in a room, and it was like being on the radio again. He couldn't be nicer. He's very supportive. Uh, he doesn't want me to come back in there. He just doesn't. He goes, I, nothing's more important than you being better. God forbid something. A caller says something. I don't know. You can't be in this atmosphere. And the book comes like, why would he think about it? He, I said, he's doing the right thing. He's yeah. doing what he should do. Yeah. What? How else could you react to that? And uh, I respect him for that. But um, uh, we're friendly, you know. And, well, that's uh, interesting because what he's, what he's, he's actually... You know he he's done everything he can and he and he loves you and he wants to help you and yeah. he has helped you. Yes, but he knows that you know he's afraid that if you come back in, it's going to enable you and and draw you back into the of shit. Of course, so of he's got to do the right thing for both. of you. That's what he's doing. Yeah, and he knows the fans want it to be a big rating thing and everything. But he's he's like, no, nothing's more important than you getting better and. Uh, I, I respect that. He goes, you know, Art, for seven years you handled it in here like nobody else. You took shit, you gave shit, but now I know maybe you can't. So. You can't do it, but God bless. I I, I love you, you know. And I, I uh, how do you not respect that? So we're cool, and but I, I'm I'm doing some of the best work I ever did on stage. I'm doing another special, and uh, and it's about it's it's a way funnier version of this in the book. But I'm proud of the book. Well, yeah, it's great, and it, it's honest, and it's fucking beautiful. Mm. And I'm glad you're healthy, and it was uh, great seeing you. I'm glad uh, you're healthy too, Mark. Fourteen years is. I'm aspiring to that. Well, yeah, anytime. Call me anytime. Uh, it's a great setup, man. And I'm a big fan of the show and the TV. Thanks, man. Much much more good fortune, brother. You too. Yeah, thanks. That's it. That's our show. That was amazing. I uh, love talking to Artie. I could talk to him all day, obviously. I know a lot of you guys were waiting for that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Got a lot of great episodes coming up. I got to get back to work. On Monday, shooting the show, but I've uh, got some few episodes in the can. I'm still doing some episodes. Working hard on the second season. Let's just ease into the new year. There's going to be some changes. They're going to be gradual. Nothing dramatic. Just going to try to branch out. Come February, going to start doing some new things with the show. Get out into the world a little more again. Talk to some different types of people. Such a powerful response to the Phil Stutz episode. I thought maybe I should be talking to more people that... Uh, have interesting takes on how to view life. Thank you for being here. Release the bats. Then there's nothing more appropriate to, to do that than with some, some Black Sabbath music, perhaps. I think once I stop, I stop this weird midlife headbanging, all will be good in my world. I mean, it's great to do it, but it is a symptom if you're 50 years old and headbanging. 
I have to see it as a symptom. Doesn't mean I can't enjoy it, but I seem to need it right now. Okay. Boomer lives!